Hello, uh, welcome to What Do You Like with Maria and... Hello, this is Hunter, the editor. Yeah, and my co-host. Yeah, I have or been upgraded to co-host. The co the other host. Maria and I are distinct people, as you can tell by our distinct voices. Yeah. This episode is going to be about the uh, author Douglas Adams, who is a prolific author, was a prolific author, and truly he left his mark. Yeah. Douglas Adams has a very, very long tail. A lot of what I would call modern science fiction has not all of his elements, but a lot of the people who are our age, young millennials, had a lot of influence on media that he had a hand in or that he was directly inspired. Yeah. So long tales, lots of influence, was very prolific. It was very sad when he passed away. Yeah, for someone who died at 49, he did a lot in yes. that lifetime. Who is Douglas Adams? A uh, British author. He, Douglas Adams is a contemporary of Neil Gaiman's in the sense that Neil Gaiman is sort of a modern fantasy or a different or a retelling of fantasy with different uh, takes on the stereotypical tropes. Douglas yeah. Adams is that, but with science fiction. Yes. They're both contemporaries. They're both born shortly after post-war Britain, which is a very interesting time that I know not enough about, but both born in the 1950s, both came to prominence in the late 70s, early 80s, sort of the tail end of Monty Python is sort of where a lot of their stuff comes from. Um, Douglas Adams actually worked on Monty Python for their final season, which I didn't know until I started researching for this episode. Yeah, I didn't know that either, but it makes total sense. Yes. <laughs> His sense of humor and Monty Python's align pretty firmly. Other things that he worked on, Doctor Who, Yes. Uh, to name one, that is probably going to grab a couple ears. But what he's best known for and has taken the most forms is his work of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Super, super short summary. The Earth will be destroyed. There is one Earthling survivor. Here are his adventures. He's a sad sack. Absolutely. The, the thing that made a Douglas Adams work really was the main character was not someone you typically went for. They are always in some regard likable or some regard at least interesting. Yeah. But they weren't necessarily a super traditional hero figure. Arthur Dent is just some guy. Dirk Gently is vaguely unlikable but also interesting in that he just kind of does whatever. Yeah, the, I liked the concept. So his other work works here or a series that he's also known for is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And Dirk Gently, for me, I like the concept of Dirk Gently. It's hard to for me to read stories about him because he is, in my opinion, just a darker version of Arthur Dent. It takes so much to make him actually do anything. And it's almost just like, why am I reading about this guy? Yeah, and I do think Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency is not as strong. It's still good, but the concept doesn't necessarily hold together as well, in my opinion. Yeah. I did read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy first. Yeah, as most people do. Most people, I started reading it in middle school. You know, I really didn't understand the sharpness of the humor, I would say, until I was a little older. Yeah, it is a book that you can read in middle school and stuff, you'll miss a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, especially if you're in middle school and reading this now, there's references that are, you know, 40, 50 years old, and they're going to just go sailing past you. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't change the fact that the section on Vogan poetry is yes, literally some of the funniest stuff you'll ever read, yeah. if you like British humor. Yes, <laughs> and that is, I think, an important caveat, is it is very much a style, and there are people who really hate that style, and that is a-okay. Yeah. But if you have at least a passing familiarity with sort of the quippier stuff, this is where a lot of it comes into play. This is where a lot of that 
isn't necessarily born, but it is how it gets into at least the American audience. Yeah. Because the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy started, asterisk, this story is deliberately deliberately told differently every time it got told. And as well as the many forms. Yes. But it started as a radio play put on by the BBC, then got turned into a novel, then the second season of the radio play came out, or sequence, I think they call them sequences, I don't remember for sure. But then the second novel came out that contradicted the radio play, but took pieces from episodes five, six, and three of the radio play, and it has exploded outward from there. Yeah. This is not counting everything, but there are, I believe at this point, as of recording 2023, six seasons or sequences of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio play. Six books. Uh, we'll talk about that more later. Yeah. A TV show. A different radio play. A text adventure, like like the one on the computer, like Zork. A movie that started production in the 1980s and only came out in 2005. To eh, fanfare. <laughs> we'll get to that one as well, because I have a few opinions on that. Yeah. And a TV show, which I think I mentioned earlier... Either way, there's at least four distinct genres of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy adaptations. Mediums, that's a good... There's a bunch of different adaptations, and they're all loosely related, and they all tell similar but different stories. And it is truly something that I feel like Douglas Adams did by design, and he, well, not felt like, I don't, that's nothing of a felt, that is a fact. Douglas Adams lived for contradictions and being slightly off kilter. The idea that anything flowed together and made a lick of sense, you know, canonically, that was not how he functioned. Canonicity was not something he worried about. And I also think it fundamentally doesn't make sense in this context. They're all adaptations of one another, and they all are telling similar but different stories. Like, the first episode of, I think, the TV show, the movie, the book, and potentially the play, because apparently there was a play briefly, all tell a similar story about the Earth being destroyed, and then they spiral out wildly from there. Yeah. My first experience was the books, and then the radio plays very quickly afterward, kind of simultaneously, because those radio plays got played on NPR in the late 70s, early 80s. So, like, when my dad was listening to NPR in northern Wisconsin, and a different sci-fi author who wrote a series called The Clone Wars, no relation to Star Wars, also has a story about traveling from Salt Lake City to Seattle listening to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio plays in a terrible truck. There are a lot of stories of people listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and being like, that's funny, and then forgetting about it for five years, and then coming back and being like, oh, hey, there's a book and a game and a play. Why is there so much of this? And why does it all not make sense when you put it together? Which, in today's era where everything is a sequel or a remake... To have something that really there was no rhyme or reason to, yeah. as long as there was that common thread between, like, the world's exploding. Here's yes. a couple characters that you recognize. Are they sim- Are they acting similar in, different, in these different versions? Minorly, like a little bit, but they each, and they all have their distinct personality, and that's what made them enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. They have a good through line of Hmm. Arthur. It's Arthur Dent reacting to things around him because he is more of the straight man and more of the, he is the most ordinary person you can think of. Yeah. And strangely, like for being so ordinary, he's incredibly stubborn. (laughs) Oh, he is weird. He also has a bunch of things where it's just like, that's an odd way to do that, but okay. Like, the fifth book in the trilogy, uh, spoilers for Douglas Adams' works, they came out over 20 years ago. Don't worry I mean, about you're it. not listening to this hoping that there's no spoilers. Yeah. The fifth book, he becomes a professional sandwich maker because he's trapped on a planet and can't do anything else. So he goes, I'm a professional sandwich maker because nobody's had this concept. And the book prior to that, he learned to fly. 
and he learns to fly and falls in love with a woman who then disappears on a transplanetary flight. The first three books of the six-book trilogy, again, we'll get back to that, the first three books are all pretty happy. The third one's a little less happy. Four is darker, and then five is bleak. Yeah. Douglas Adams has said that he was going through some shit Yes. when he wrote that one and it you can tell because in the beginning the world had like like we keep saying the world has ended and yet it is not a bleak tone like arthur dent is upset and he is displeased that the world has been destroyed for a superhighway, but he doesn't have time to really dwell on it. He's got to go off and go discover these planets. He's being dragged along for the ride. He's meeting new people. He's experiencing these new things. He's reading this book that's kind of being edited as they go. Yeah. Which is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And one of and his best friend turns out to be an alien named Ford Prefect who saves him because he likes him. He's a nice enough guy. Yeah, Ford Prefect, <laughs> a name that was nicely inconspicuous. There's about three levels to this joke. Ford Prefect doesn't make any sense, and I didn't realize this until somebody explained it to me. A prefect was a type of car in England at the time, was a very common car and Ford had mistook the dominant species on Earth to be cars. So in the movie, there's a very funny scene where <laughs> Ford Prefect, played by Most Def, who is an excellent choice, is standing in the road, smiling as broadly as he can. With a bouquet of flowers. With a bouquet of flowers holding out an arm, and you just see... Um, Arthur Dent come in from off screen, tackle him out of the way of the car. He's he's like, and like they come back from the flashback. He goes, you didn't think it's weird that I was trying to shake hands with the car? I thought you were just a lunatic <laughs> or something to that effect. <laughs> the characters all work. They feel very developed, but also totally wild. Yeah. Like Ford, Ford is, pro it is my favorite character. Like, I like Trillian on a, like, except for her her version in the final book, because she just, yeah, she, she just is. She gets done dirty. She gets done dirty, but, like, she is so, like, logical and very, she got on a spaceship with a guy because she just wanted to see the world, and she is incredibly smart. Ford Prefect is just a guy who is looking for his next drink. He is a free-roaming, basically freelance journalist writing for The Hitchhiker's Guide, but also does the journalism by sort of the gonzo journalism route. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's inspired by Hunter S. Thompson, but it's not a long walk to see Ford Prefect to Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, he's definitely gotten into situations where he's like, I'll figure it out as I go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, Ford is the one who always know where your towel is, is advice from Ford and from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, and he was also, his initial entry for Earth was mostly harmless. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because Ford has a fully written out description of Earth. I think it gets edited down to harmless, and then Ford pushes back and they get mostly, mostly harmless, harmless, which is the name of the fifth book. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah. I do think my favorite, though, is the third book, because for the sole reason of the antagonists of the book, the, one, the ones that are trying to destroy the universe, their reasoning for it is they see it for the, they see the universe for the first time and just decide, ah, it's gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> for, for further background, they evolved in a region that had really dark dust clouds. So they're like, we're the only things in the universe. And they finally get out and go, oh, no, we're not alone. Yes, we're alone. <laughs> yeah, we can't have this. <laughs> we have to go. This has got to go. This all needs to not be here. But that is really what Douglas Adams, that was the humor. And it is the a Douglas Adams sense of yeah. humor. It's quippy. It's very, like, by the seat of your pants. The antagonists are in any other book would not be the focus. Like, yeah. they would not be the antagonists. Yeah, they have a very clear, this is why this is the way it is. And everyone just kind of goes, 
I mean, we, but we live here, and they're like, well, nope, can't do it. Yeah. And, they're, like, in the first book, the Vogons are not even the antagonists. They're just doing their job. <laughs> I think unfeeling bureaucracy is something that Douglas Adams feels very strongly about and is not a fan of. Yeah. He also wrote a text adventure called Bureaucracy, where you are attempting to start your new job as you've moved, but your bank doesn't have your change of address form set up appropriately. And it ends up, spoilers for, again, a 40-year-old game that I've never played because it looks incredibly difficult. You end up flying overseas and then escaping a set of cannibals and finding that the world is out to get you specifically, and you defeat them and it everything's great, and then you move to Paris. It's a weird game. Your change of address form is never filled out. Correct. Yes. <laughs> you never actually change your address. You just end up dealing with it later. But the Vogons, who are the ones that destroy the Earth in the first book, their god is bureaucracy. Yes. And they, they are a deeply bureaucratic race. They are here to do their job and fix it. And they are also, there's, they have no creativity. Yeah. And that is why they utilize their poetry, which lacks any creativity, as their main weapon of choice. Yeah. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is really good. And I think, not the elephant in the room, but the two adaptations that I think are notable is the movie and then the sixth book. And I'm going to start with the movie because it got a not particularly good rap it is not as bad as it says. It's mostly harmless. Yes. Good. It's the joke. Joke of the day. <laughs> the movie is not as bad as it seems. There are definitely parts that I think don't work as well. Trillian in particular gets absolutely hosed. She gets so little to do and... She does what she can, but man, she gets super hooped. She's played by Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel is an actress given with what she has, right? Yes. She's given lines. She performs those lines well, but they wrote Trillian as the love interest. And the Trillian in the book would be absolutely disgusted that she was written down to boil down to simply a love interest of Arthur yeah. Dent. It doesn't do justice to her character. I don't think that the love story angle couldn't work. I think it doesn't work in this book. Because, like, in, in later, the movie. In the movie. Yeah, in the movie, it, I don't think it comes through. And I think that it is not handled super well. But in later books, she has a kid with Arthur. Not by his choice. He doesn't know that. <laughs> but to get money for his transgalactic flights he donates sperm to a sperm bank and she decides she wants a kid and then that's a different kettle of fish in the sort of dark she becomes so cutthroat yes books trillion from one through um uh four would be like well that's disappointing like that i'm boil down to this simple like stereotype yeah. and then fifth book trillion would be like well it's time to kill you <laughs> yes yeah it's the movie is better than people remember it yes and there's definitely some really great ideas the Vogons are done well. I really Vogons are excellent. The Vogons are excellent. They do a really great job in just the whole creation of them and the whole use of the bureaucracy system and how it can be exploited to work with or against them. They are they are honestly probably one of the better parts of it. Yeah. Ford is Fantastic. Most Def, I think, carries a good portion yes. of this movie. Yeah. Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent works stunningly well. He's fine. I I, I think he's better than fine. Mar I will argue. I, I just, I, I don't like that Martin Freeman, or not Martin Freeman, but I don't like how Arthur's written as much. That's I think fair. I think Martin Freeman does a fine job. Yeah. He is known for playing sad sacks. Yes. Oh, he, he nails it, and I think he does a really good job. I don't like Zaphod as much. I do love the twist, though, that the reason why the Earth gets destroyed is because he thought he was signing an autograph. Yes, that 
Uh, and that also, if that had come up in the book, I wouldn't have batted an eye. Yeah. Hugs and kisses, Zaphod. Yeah. When I saw that, I thought that was so funny. And for a while, like the running gag in my head was every time, you know, I would have to write an email, it would be hugs and kisses. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, Slurdy Burtfast, also very, very good. Yep. Megrothea, they do a good job with that. They do a good job producing this. And it, there's... There's a lot they do well. There's a lot of new ideas that they provide that are done well. It's just, especially because it took so long to create. Yes. It just kind of, they kind of like pushed it out and they're like, here you go. And it needs to get done. And unfortunately, there were a couple spots that I think more time wouldn't have helped because I think just fundamentally. Yeah. Trying to shoehorn a love story in is not a great idea and like, it doesn't work and like the book series there was no plot it's just going from place to place like there's a minimal through line of trying to discover certain things but the ending is you never really figure it out like something goes wrong there's a problem with the programming we never know what the ultimate question is yeah, well, you get part of the ultimate question, and then you get the ultimate answer, 42, which is where that comes from. Yeah, things like, always know where your towel is, 42. If you hear those and you're just like, I have no idea what that context is, that's Douglas Adams. Yeah. Don't panic with the smiling, like, eyeless green orb thing. Is from the cover of, I want to say, the Hitchhiker's Guide it to is, the Galaxy. Well, the, the eyeless green thing is the mascot, but it's not on the cover. Don't Panic is on the cover of yes. the book. Just yeah. straight up. Written in large, friendly letters. <laughs> to make you feel better. Yeah, just don't panic. A lot of that works. And I think it's really useful to look at the sixth book in the trilogy to see where it can not work. Because I do think the sixth book in the trilogy, it, they use trilogy very consistently, don't worry about it, yeah. is... In my opinion, more akin to like a really well supported fanfic. It's written by Ian Colfer, who wrote Artemis Fowl and a handful of other things. And I think the sixth book just doesn't work. I don't think it lands. A big part of that is it came out in 2009, and I genuinely don't know who was asking for the sixth book in a trilogy that the last book came out in 1992. Yeah, it, I've actually never read it because, in my opinion, like, the way that the fifth book ends is, like, very... that's it. Yeah, it is one where it's very cut and dried, where the Earth is destroyed and the... For, like, all the, the char- third time. I think, it's the, I think it's the fourth or fifth time. But all the characters are at uh, Stavros Beta, which is a club in New York. And another thing picks up from right there and gets them out of it. I think the start works, but I don't think the overall through line really holds together for me. Partly, Arthur kind of drops out of focus, which is not a bad thing, but it switches to Zaphod getting a lot of focus, and then it switches to Thor getting a lot of focus, and I think neither of those are as strong. I don't think they land together. Zaphod also, character-wise, feels very different. And it's sort of justified, but it also doesn't really feel like Zaphod in, in the right way. Well, like, when we first meet Zaphod, he's a two-headed alien who had his brains se- had his brains separated for two heads because that was the cool thing to do. Yes. He is incredibly self-centered and egotistical. Yeah. And he's also Ford's half-brother. Yes. And he wants to find the lost planet. He's seduced ish trillion. Or just she didn't need to be seduced. He she, he seduced her, but she was more on the like, oh, you have a spaceship, Dunzo, let's yeah, go. Yeah, she she's like, I'm using you for your spaceship. Yeah. Like he was kind of kickstarting the plot, but he was not main character material. He was a one-off in a weird sense. Like he's yeah. a joke. He comes around enough through the rest of them where and it works. But in this one, he's way more... He's way more conniving in a way that I don't feel like the rest of the book's set up. So it feels out of place. Also, one of the big through lines is a bunch of rich 
people are leaving the planet and trying to get to this other planet because they've been taken away from the destroyed Earth. It's a retelling of the Golgothrinchians from the third book, but handled less well, in my opinion. Yeah. It just, it doesn't quite hold together or land in, again, in my opinion. And it feels way more mean-spirited in a way that I don't think holds up. I think it it's the mean-spiritedness was, it's always right on the, the first four books were always right on the edge of it. Yes. Yeah, first four books are definitely... I'm making these characters and then subjecting them to hell, but they're also just kind of going with stuff. Yeah. The fifth book is definitely, I have a personal vendetta. Yeah. And the sixth book doesn't walk back from that. And yeah. I think that's a mistake because I also don't think the humor has held up nearly as well yeah. in the sixth book. I think the humor just falls flat a lot more often. It is weird, like, the idea of trying to recreate Douglas Adams' humor when you're not Douglas Adams, because it's so hard to copy that. Like, there's yeah. an influence by, an inspired by, but if you're trying to be him, that's not the same. And it's I think really hard to do for just about anybody. Like you can't write something and be like in the like I don't think he was trying to do that, but why use the fifth book as your reference point for the sense of humor? Yeah, I I think it was one that Douglas Adams I think maybe could have pulled it off, but I think there is a reason it never came out other than his untimely death in 2001. Yeah. With that said, speaking of people trying to write like Douglas Adams, I actually do think the more modern Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency yes. works. Yes. And that's a 2016 BBC show, had two seasons. There will not be a third season because nope. the main showrunner turned out to be kind of garbage. We're going to move past that. The first season is great. The first season is really, really strong. The second season is not bad, but I don't think held together quite as well. It, it kind of devolved once the gunfight started. Yeah. Like, I, it was building and building and building and all this miscommunication and, like, these two clans, like, fighting each other and refusing to see anything. And then the guns came out, which is honestly... That is still very Douglas Adams. Yeah. But I think with Douglas Adams, like, death is always a thing. Death happens. But it was not nearly as, like, brutal. Yeah. Like, you're not watching... When you're reading Douglas Adams, you're not in the midst of a group of people getting mowed down with a machine gun. Yeah. And I mean, as kind of thinking through this, in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in the first book, Earth is destroyed... So everyone on Earth dies. Except Arthur and Trillian. Except Arthur, Trillian, and a handful of mice. Don't worry about it. That comes up later. But, like, on-screen deaths is none. Yeah. The second book, there is a character who is spending a year legally dead for tax reasons, which is very funny. Yes. But again, I don't think there are any on-screen deaths. Third book has the potted plant and the sperm whale <laughs> at Magrathea. I don't remember if that's third book, second book, or first book. Well, it's the explanation of what the potted plant is. No, it's the explanation of what the whale is going through. Because the potted plant just goes, oh no, not again. No, it's what the potted plant is. Do you remember? Oh, yes. I, I remember. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because the whale is a whale and it's not anything except that. Yes. But the potted plant is someone who keeps getting reincarnated as things that get killed by Arthur Dent. Yes. <laughs> it's like, you, you are the enemy to me. And then Arthur Dent kills him again. And it's like, I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that's the only, that's one of the only on-screen deaths in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. trilogy. Yeah. And season two of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency has like 15 or 20. There's a lot. It's not permanent for some of it. Some there, of there's a lot of deaths. No, I'm thinking not in Wendemore. I'm thinking on, on right on because Earth. right the woman who becomes the uh, main antagonist just starts killing people and yeah. like messing with their minds. She is a straight up psych because she is a straight up psychopath. Yeah. Like they started off as her being really. I do like 
the start of it, she seems very put down upon. She seems like the victim. And then everyone's like, no, you are getting exactly what you deserve. You, you are the victim of your story, but you are also doing things that are absolutely wrong. Yeah. Like the, I think the specific example that the, her book group gets told is like, she ha- was in a car accident and hurt her leg in a way where she's basically permanently hurt. Yeah. It then comes out, it's like, no, you were high on Oxycontin at the time and crashed with our kids in the car. Yeah. Like, it's one where it goes from being like, oh, you have sort of a sympathetic, you're hurt because of a car accident, to you're hurt because of a car accident that you absolutely caused. Yes. And that undercutting of the sympathy, I think, is really interesting, but also just kind of starts feeling like, oh, she's just the worst person in the world. Everyone jeer her, throw candy at her. Yeah, yeah, like with some antagonists, you love to hate them. Yes. There's nothing enjoyable about watching her on screen once you realize this, because once she starts taking over, like she's playing it as like this hammy, crazy villain, just like loving all the new power. But it's like, I'm not enjoying this. Yeah, you're, you're hammy, crazy villain. But also we've seen that you are just petty and small-minded and cruel for, like, no reason. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, like, getting back at people except for the story in your own mind. Yeah, you're getting back at people who we don't feel have wronged you. You feel they have wronged you. And that sort of vindictiveness is a really thin line to pull off. Yeah. Especially when, like, the uh, the the mage, who is the sort of previous antagonist, is witting, charmy, urbane, and also fucking terrifying. Yes. He was, like, a really good setup because he's, like, re- controlling everything in the background. He's slowly manipulating everything. He's patient. You don't know much about him. All that is is he wants power, but he is a imaginary... Cre- he's a creation... Yeah that took on a mind uh, of imagination that took on a mind of its own. He is a kid's character. He is the villain from a kid's story. So he always loses, but is always powerful and does a bunch of different things, but has been warped into the, well, if I go to the real world, then I can just win. Yeah. It's a story about a story because Wendemore, the main setting of season two is explicitly created because of a child's dreaming who it turns out you figure out who that is later. It's part of this whole overarching thing. Yes. Season two is dense enough that it's a lot harder to follow, I think, as part of it. Season one is a lot easier to figure out what's happening. As weird as that is, because it literally, the like, one of the opening scenes is a hotel room and you just pan across and there's like a guy in half like yeah. in two parts, there's like giant bite marks everywhere and a cat. <laughs> yeah, because so I think season one to to describe it a little bit more. Um, first, go watch the show because please it is, do it is quite good. the The entire thesis of season one is where is Lydia Spring? Lydia Spring is the daughter of a famous industrialist in Seattle who recently died. She disappeared. And the entire story revolves around answering that question. Yeah. Or Patrick Spring, that's his name. Well, pa- yeah, Patrick Spring's her father. Yes. He hires Dirk Gently. Yes, he hires Dirk Gently and then is killed. Yes. So Dirk Gently has no longer any obligation to do this, but he is because th- that is what Dirk Gently is. That is what Dirk Gently does. He is also being pursued by Project Blackwing, who is sort of the very stereotypical black helicopters, military industrial complex. Also the military industrial complex people who are chasing him, trying to put him back in the box, are not great at what they do. <laughs> yeah, there's one who's gotten too deep into, like, empathy for them. Yeah. Who's, like, gone to know them too well, so he's just trying to, like, convince them to come back, and he's not... He's... No one wants to do that. He is, he is a... He's trying to be a kindly father figure, except that he's also been the one who's kept them locked up for 
literal decades. Yeah. And the other one is... New assistant. Assist, new assistant. They put him there because he's terrible at everything else. So bad at his job. And then, um, spoilers for the end of the season, he becomes the new head of this project, which is a bad thing. Yeah. I think the season works and it is very dissimilar to the books. But that grain of, I'm a holistic detective, I follow any leads that come my way. Yes. So I'm going to kind of do whatever and I'm going to follow it. Yeah. That works in this sort of modern telling. And I think having that central mystery that's easier to follow than Wendemore's kind of slightly woolier, slightly fuzzier, bigger thing is so important. Having something that the audience can follow and can't necessarily solve but if you watch the first episode knowing everything from the later ones everything still ties together and also what makes this work versus when i because i as i said i'm not a huge fan of the book series because for me the book character dark gently is just too lackluster he is very like i'm taken by the winds of change and kind of yeah he's got a very lesser fair yeah. Sort of flow. Well, it's like, I can't pay you because money has not come to me yet. Yeah. And then once money comes to me, I'm not going to pay you because yeah. nothing has told me to pay you yet. Well, I did this job for you. Yes, but that is now. Yeah. In the TV show, he has that same sort of, I'm going to just kind of go with the flow and go with everything, but really doesn't want to. It is something that causes him great discomfort to be like, I go places and things happen around me and they are not fun. This is not what I want to do. Yeah, people are dying. People have brains getting like transferred. There's something going on. I'm getting shot at. I'm being chased by two detectives. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I, but this just happens. And then, so, but he also, the guy who plays him has this incredible energy and sort of happy-go-lucky because if he doesn't be happy-go-lucky he cry you know he'll cry he'll break down he'll break down so he's definitely like his introduction and what he's doing and you know going along for the ride and carjacking a car because the keys are in there it's not carjacking (laughs) if the keys are in there he just takes a car that he can yeah like because like the winds have told him yeah this car is here and it works he has the Arthur Dent or the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of like constant upbeatness versus sort of like the beaten down Dirk Gently character in the book. Yeah. The beaten down version of Dirk Gently is played by Elijah Wood. (laughs) Yeah. Elijah Wood does a really good job. Like this is a very, very good role. Yes. He does a, like, I like Elijah Wood taking on random ass roles because he is genuinely a very good actor. Like these are roles that like are not ones you'd think he'd take because you're just like, oh. Elijah Woods in this? Okay. You know, like, because, you know, because he's doing what he wants and he's like, I like this. This seems cool. Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe has a couple of the same things where he's just been like, I have the money. I enjoy acting. I'm just going to do something that I want to. Yeah. I'm going to be a guy who has guns nailed to his hands. Insert famous image of Daniel Radcliffe holding two guns in a bathrobe. Yes. So Dirk Gently is played by Samuel Barnett. Todd, (laughs) Dirk's assistant, is played by Elijah Wood. Todd is a sad sack. He is the quintessential sad sack, but beaten down past being able to continue through his own uh, machinations. Yeah, he absolutely (laughs) is like, oh, I I have this, my sister has this disease that I had and got better from. Uh, Pararibulitis, which is Maybe. not a real thing, but basically you have incredibly vivid hallucinations that feel like the thing that you're experiencing is actually happening. So, like, you imagine that your uh, drumsticks ter- are turned into knives that you're holding by the blade. Yeah. You aren't actually being cut, but it feels like you're being cut. So you is... just become like a screaming pot, like ball on the ground because you feel you're in immense pain. Yeah. So like some hallucinations could be you're on fire suddenly. Yeah. Some hallucinations are you're suddenly incredibly cold. Like 
it's all stuff that you have to be able to see, but Todd had this disease. It's revealed late in the season that no, he didn't. He just took the money that his parents gave him for medication for medication and used it to kind of do whatever. And his sister doesn't forgive him. Like she they, forgives him, but doesn't forget it. They do not have a good relationship after that point. Yeah. Compared to what they had before, because for her, which is completely valid, yeah. he was her hope better. He got better. And she, so that means she can. Yeah. And he feels terrible. Because when he was doing these horrible things, he did not have any future thought of this at all. The fact that he basically made his parents bankrupt. Yeah. It is also implied that he had a band and then just took the money from the band and left. Yeah. It's, it, there was a lot of things where he has a sad sack, but also he is not particularly sympathetic. But it's Elijah Wood, so he is sympathetic. Yeah, especially because they show in the beginning he does care deeply for his sister. Yeah. He feels terrible that this happened. It doesn't change the fact that it happened, but yeah. he wants to take care of her and he feels bad. And I mean, you, you can say sorry all you want. It doesn't change the fact that you were incredibly selfish. No. But the Elijah Wood and Sam uh, Barnett comp- complement each other really well. Because while Elijah Wood is running around just like going, what is going on? I have no idea. Why are you following me? <laughs> I'm not your assistant. I'm not your assistant. Like... Sam Barnett is like, yes, you are. Come with me. We're going. And it's also this idea that he goes, I like you. You seem nice. And Elijah was like, I am not nice. No, absolutely not. (laughs) And the supporting cast, like everyone does a really great job in, you know, playing their role. Also in being that Douglas Adams way of likable and... Uh, I mean, and the antagonists, you don't know much about them. You get more of an idea as they go on. And yeah, they're pretty scummy. But when they introduce themselves as Ned, Zed, Fred, and Ted, yeah. it's kind of just like, all right, I'm listening. Yeah. It's <laughs> The antagonists are the men of the machine who found this machine that lets them swap bodies or swap minds with people or animals Yeah, who... You end up realizing later in the season, the men of the machine have no idea what's happening. So they end up talking to yes. Dirk Gently and Todd at some point of like, who are you? Why were you in my house? And you realize, oh, wait, they have no idea what just happened. We know. And Todd and Dirk sort of know what's going on. Yeah. Everyone is totally confused because none of this makes sense unless you've seen everything and know that you can time travel. Yeah. Because the machine is a broken time travel device. So by fixing the time travel device, you destroy the machine that they need. There's a bunch of really cool twists and turns, and they've done a very good job at making everything fit together in sort of an ARG way, which is super cool. Yes. The part where everything comes together and all the pieces click into place you know, for the audience, it's a really great sequence because it's starting, everything now makes sense. And the part where uh, Dirk gently also puts all those pieces together and you're introduced to kind of the person who's at the center of all of it, Mr. Spring. Patrick Spring. Patrick Spring is uh, really great because you're just like, oh my God, that is just how everything crosses paths. Yeah, every the the through line is everything is connected and everything is connected. Yeah. Also, because I think we're starting to run out of time. Also, there's a holistic assassin. Oh um, yeah, played by great. Brad Dor- uh, Fiona Dorf, who's Brad Dorf's daughter. Yeah. And she's played very well. Fiona oh, yeah. Dorf's a good actress. Yeah. Well, hol- I mean, holistic detective. I go where the wind takes me and solve crimes as they come to me. Holistic assassin. I go where the wind takes me and kill who the universe tells me to kill. Yeah. That sounds like a serial killer. Ah, no, I only kill bad people. <laughs> Which I, mm, mm. According to who? I don't know. <laughs> According to what, what I think. And as it turns out, she's right. She is only killing bad people. Yeah, because she's a holistic assassin. Yeah. She also looks like a homeless nut nutcase. <laughs> yes. It's, it is very clearly like she just kind of does whatever. 
Also, in season two, there's a holistic actress who can just kind of become whatever. The the season two gets really weird. Season yeah. one is weird. Season two, like, we keep ho- talking about it in, like, little bits, but it is weird. <laughs> it's a lot harder to sum up in sort of a quick summary. Yeah. Which is why we haven't done that. But, like, the, the main thing I want to come off of for the holistic uh, actress is she's in an interview with the new villain who's just being very pragmatic. And she very quietly just is kind of sitting there like talking with them. It's like, I don't think you understand what it means for me to be a holistic actress. I can become any role that the universe tells me to be. If I wanted to, or if the universe told me, I could turn into an aircraft carrier and kill everyone here. Yeah. She's here by her own choice. And everyone in the room who isn't her has the realization of, oh shit, we can't control you in any way. Yeah. Oh, we've made a mistake. I think the theme in season two is the idea of control. Yeah, it's order versus, it's control versus chaos. It's very clearly the, there needs to be a balance and the holistic group Project Blackwing is trying to control chaos in a way that doesn't, follow through yeah because they're trying to make dirk do things and it breaks him like it it just makes him like a a shell and it is it but at the end the payoff of seeing him and todd reunite yeah is really great it's one of like the better sequences of the series i think of the whole explanation of what is going on yeah and like that part was it's really cute because they've been through so much shit and Todd and one of the other characters from season one have been going through a lot of like day to day, not sure, like being chased, being scared. And like once they actually see Dirk, there's that sense of like relative normalcy and like relief. Yeah, we are are going to come together. We're going to get out of this. Yes. It's a series that I think is worth giving a watch if you like sort of modern modern takes on sci-fi, although not a ton of sci-fi. Yeah, Dirk um, Gently definitely veers a little bit away. Veers from sci-fi. Yeah. It is using the character of Dirk Gently and the Douglas Adams sense of happy-go-lucky sad sack. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say it is probably the best indication of inspired by this concept. Yeah. It is not based on it. No. And not even a little bit. Yeah. But I think the spirit yeah. is captured. Yes. It does a good job at being of this without actually being, I think, connected in any way. Yeah. Speaking of things that are, I would say, capture some of the spirit of it. I actually, I'm going to be very brief on this because I don't totally remember it. There was a series that I remember reading growing up called the Outernet Books. And they came out in, I want to say like 99, 2000, 2001, something like that right around when Douglas Adams passed away. And it is very much a, this is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but set in the early 2000s and written for kids explicitly. And it is one that I have really fond memories of. And I gave those books away when I was moving because I was like, I don't think I'm going to read them again because I've read them so much. I want somebody else to enjoy them. And I've never been able to find them again. I, I haven't looked that hard. But that series is one that I really enjoyed. And they explicitly were on the, yeah, this is inspired by Douglas Adams. 100%. If you can copy from someone, copy from someone who's really good. Yeah, I I will say, like, Douglas Adams, like, his fingerprints are on a lot of work that people enjoy now. He is such an influence to a lot of very funny books and ideas and i mean he wrote for doctor who he worked with monty python and his best known work it literally started according to him he was drunk in a field with a hitchhiker's guide to europe in his hand and he said what if we made a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy we should have one of these for the galaxy and that and then he forgot about it for I think several months and then was like, oh, that was a good idea. I should write that. Yeah. And and so it began. Yeah. <laughs> Our whole takeaway from this is Douglas Adams is 
an excellent author and we are sad that he's that he passed away so suddenly at 49 like yeah it is a tragedy he still has an outsized impact on a lot of modern sci-fi yeah and an impact on both of us because when we first started dating we listened to a lot of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh radio plays yeah that like, was like a thing we did after uh track meets yeah if i remember correctly you hadn't ever heard them. no i hadn't and i hadn't listened to them for probably four or five years so i was like hey this is a thing that we both enjoy we should listen to these yeah it was really it was, it was very really nice. nice we have to thank him for working on that it's one of the things that we enjoy and we share together yeah and so. i definitely think that his sense of humor shaped our sense of humor yes oh absolutely his sense of humor has shaped many people's sense of humor, both creators and regular people like us. Yeah. You know, you think about it and it's like he touched so many people. For someone who lived only to 49, that's incredible. Yeah. He was a very, very impressive person and we really enjoy what he does. And if you think he sounds interesting and you've never read some of his stuff, you should go read some of his stuff. It's real good. Yeah. Also, how are you listening to the two of us and you've never read anything by Douglas Adams? Yeah. That surprises me. This really should just be an an enjoying trip down memory lane. Yeah. Like, I can see, like, you you haven't read any of his stuff because other stuff has happened. But if you're listening to us, you you should really check it out because there's a reason that we are both uh, the way we are. Immense Uh, nerds. I was going to be nicer than that, but... Maria's not wrong. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> that 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 adds up. Anyway, we're gonna wrap it up now, and uh, hope to join you soon. Yeah, check out some stuff by Douglas Adams. Have a good day. Yeah. Stay safe. Don't panic. Don't panic. That's how we're gonna end it. 